we have a perfect circle. That's a very good achievement. And we have mics just to record everything. And um, there's Stein will be walking around with a mic that can probably reach everybody. And uh, we did form the circle so that we could all talk, but we still have the mic, so there's still a talking power in our hands. Um, let's try to limit that as much as we can. Um, just to structure this part uh, a little. Of course, we are here at Casco. Casco is an art institution that is moving beyond the commodity form. That's in, in my own words, uh, that would be. Um, and Casco is, of course, also a, an uh, institution that is dependent on funding. That is a difficult situation that makes uh, for uh, the fact that the team has to work towards this funding for quite a lot of the time. So a form of commoning for the institution itself is definitely on the agenda, but the question is still out there how to do that, as an, as a, especially as an art institution that is um, that tries to get beyond the commodity form, or Casco doesn't really sell big paintings or things like that. Um, but of course, it is also an institution that is through being in a city involved in what cities call creative uh, creative uh, city uh, politics and in that sense the institution itself could be thought of as a commodity and is because of that um, involved um, with politics that they have to conform to and then in in the little leeway that they have try and do their own thing so commoning for the art institution itself within the art institution, within the relationship between producers and uh, participants or producers and consumers of art, maybe even that. That is something that I would like to put on the agenda now. And for the rest, the thing that I saw that, that overlapped between the talk of Manuela and that of Michel was this uh, focus on integrative discourse or what Manuela in one of her texts on Roar calls the intersectionality not of identity but of uh, struggles. Um, and um, to deal with the fact that there is always this division of labor. Uh, the higher up we in the organizational hierarchy we get, um, uh, what you call the, the, the competency, we don't have the competency to do this, we don't have the decision power to do that on the, the part of the city itself, on City Hall. And of course, there are competing cities as well. Um, so this is what I wanted to lay out there. But now, let's see what comes up. Any ideas? Yeah, OK. That seems like a good idea. Any questions? Commoning in the art institution, commoning outside of the art institution. is because I mean uh, thank you so much for uh, your talk and sharing your knowledge in such generous and uh, clear <laughs> way um, and Michelle you talk about the like uh, what is the using the abundance fear that is immaterial while uh, material sphere is not abundant but in relation to the question of risk-taking, uh, in case of Casco, uh, 
uh, risk of losing funding. <laughs> uh, I wonder how we can make this kind of cycle between uh, immaterial commons, immaterial sphere, and material sphere without relying on extractionist strategy. Yeah. So that's one question. And then to Manuela, um, um, I need to, uh, it's more because you work on micro-political strat strategies and mm -hmm. affective dimension and care. So, and uh, as far as I could see uh, in Barcelona on commute is that there is quite amazing affective dimension. And one thing that I thought, what uh, keeps that affective dimension may, uh, has to do with a lot of death in Spain. Death? <laughs> yeah, death. death. No, no, actually death. There's a lot of suicide in, uh, uh, due to also a housing shortage um, or evictions. So I, I'm not sure how correct this knowledge is, but I also know through Brian Holmes, the, the one of the, uh, what profile and sustain the act up movement, the age movement was death. This shared horizon of what what you might call existential horizon. So in the Netherlands, I see the Netherlands is the country or a culture with no existentialism whatsoever. <laughs> it's a very materialistic country. Um, so I mean, without also making very quick assumption, uh, existentialism would make a movement successful. Like I know Korea is very existential country, movement is very strong, but I don't know how successful it is. It's, uh, it's in transition. Uh, so maybe could you speak about this affective dimension and how it's kind of uh, cared and sustained? If you want to go first, yeah, I actually, I have, can I, I? Yeah, I have a little thing to say. Can I add something to, because yeah. I had a similar question to you, so just to tuck it on to that question, because you said something like, um, uh, we don't yet have a fully abundant material sphere, and I was wondering when are we going to have that and how? Well, what the well, that's what I, I want to answer, actually. Um, you know, it's not just a, like a clear opposition, it's more like a polarity with, you know, gradations, because of course, even the material sphere, you know, we need electricity, we need pipes, we need people. I mean, the internet rests on a material sphere. But once you have that, then the ability to reproduce, that's, that's really easy. Right, you whether you, you so you need investment to make it once, but once you've made that investment, then the reproduction of it, you know, one ten, one million is is kind of like easy to do. So that's what we mean. Um, but so the way I th I think of it is kind of in terms of scarcity engineering and abundance engineering. So the market is a scarcity allocation system, but capitalism is a scarcity engineering system. When it finds abundance, it tries to make it not abundant, right? Terminator sees intellectual property. It's just always trying to destroy the abundance so it can create the commodity form. And so I think we have to do the opposite. And, you know, that's abundance engineering. Like we see a material resource which seems restricted, and then we start thinking how can we make it abundant? And one of the things that easy to do is mutualization, right? So we don't have all to buy cars, we don't all have to buy uh, bikes. So we see actually in Utrecht, of course, uh, I heard every person has three bikes. 
uh, is the the bike density most bike dense uh, city in the world i heard but anyway so as a general idea is kind of if you can mutualize the resource you actually already make it abundant right so if you if you can organize yourself so that you know who has what and who can you know like you create a pool then the, then already you have a big shift in mentality because uh, you know the, the commodity mentality is if I don't have the money to buy it, shit. You know I'm stressed, right? I need more money I, because you're competing with everyone. But once you shift to this idea of, you know, we have a community and we have access to that resource, then you relax. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I so I don't know what you know how you should do this in specific cases. But so thinking through this idea of what is it that we can mutualize so that we, all, we need a lot less money to do it and yet it becomes available to all people who need it. In that way you can also create you know, relative abundance in the material sphere. So I think the only difference is that you need to, in the material sphere, you always need to think about how to regenerate it. Right, so that's why you get in the Ostrom rules and governance. You, you cannot just do like, okay, we'll always be there. Everybody can take. You always need to think, how do I regenerate? Because it's always relatively abundant. Not, it will not be fully abundant. Right. So that's the kind of basic idea. I know it's not practical, but it's a way of thinking about it, right? Can I ask another question? So what is the main resource that commoners now use? So you can take almost anything and mutualize it, but you still need money. But you, but you still need money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. that, that is that, 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 that right. Yes, but you know, so very maybe very short and right. So. Some kind of communities that I look at, the so in spirals and Sorica, you 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 know once you have that culture of cooperation, that trust in each other, then you can make plugins. I don't know how to explain this. So for example, you can use the broad funds, right? Yeah. Which is mutualizing risk for health, like when you can't work. You can use Solidago, which is a German uh, alternative healthcare mutualized insurance. You can use French insurance. Uh, so this, there's more and more things available which allow you to plug in these solutions into your own network and mutualize more and more parts of your activity. And so money is really important. For example, in Spiral, when I was there, even though actually it's not part of their official program, they mutualize their mortgages. Because, you know, young people can't pay the 10%. And so they say, oh, okay, we'll help you. And everybody kind of gives you a little bit and then you have your 10%. And it's just because they know each other, they trust each other, and it's amazing what becomes possible once you start you know, thinking in that way. And a lot of things that are, seem difficult on your own become much more easy when, when you're doing it together. And money is very important. You know, I personally still think we need it, uh, there's a lot, but there's a lot we can do differently with it, including changing the design of money, but that's another discussion. But, so there's a lot of things we can do when we start mutualizing our financial resources. We had a question. Um, but is there, so apart from mutualizing, um, 
I've been thinking about cross-subsidy a lot uh, lately. Mm. So is there a way that the art scene can find um, resources from powerful money, loaded with money organizations uh, for the arts, uh, private foundations uh, that, that are willing to, um, I mean, so I'm just thinking about something that's been happening um, in a totally different field, which is outsourcing. Uh, uh, so there is this company called Samasource in the US. And the model they work around with is microwork. So they, um, instead of outsourcing digital work in the US, they outsource digital work in Kenya, say. And uh, they build garages, uh, they equip garages with computers. Um, and they give, uh, they hire people to do like photo tagging, um, all these works that that big companies uh, would outsource in the U.S. They they do it in Africa, and they pay uh, a living wage with this. Um, and so the CEO of this company, oh, this is a very simplified explanation of what they do. So maybe just go look at what they do. But uh, the CEO of this company also says. Um, I'm so tired of fundraising, yeah, because she's always, she's a, it's an NGO, and they all constantly have to find uh, funding. And so she recently started um, a high-end uh, beauty cosmetic line uh, where she basically so outsource, she uh, sources material for this cosmetic line uh, from uh, uh, women, or uh, uh, it sounds very exploitative, but it's not, um, from women around the world. Uh, so these are organic. So she plays in that organic uh, cosmetic line market, which is not huge. Um, and there's a big movement around cosmetics being made with products that you would actually eat if you could. Uh, uh, so she's playing into that market. And basically, all the money she makes out of this company, which just started, she reinvests in the um, non-profit uh, that she is doing uh, with sustainable outsourcing. So this is a long thing to just in try to say. There are maybe ways in one in which one could cross-subsidize by taking uh, from from you know people that have a lot of money and don't know what to do with this money basically uh, and are willing to in, in uh, invest in an idea that that you know uh, that can work. Um, so, bah, cross subsidy. Yeah. But then you're also investing in markets and. In advertisement and in, well, let's say a lot of things that maybe you would not want to invest in when you just have a good initiative that doesn't have anything to do with this cosmetic line, right? Because, I mean, you're calling upon, I don't want to pull in too much, but. Let's very, very simply say the idea of what the feminine should be, right? And of course, it's nice to like pull in the organic and da da da, but really, it doesn't have anything to do with what they want to do, and they have to like pull out another card in order to fund this that doesn't have. I don't know. I don't. I really. Superficial principle changing, though. Well, you give a, it's a living wage, though. So, in a way, the people that wouldn't normally have a job that is underpaid, so the, 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 the underlying idea is 
to give work rather than charity. So instead of, uh, so you, you build uh, from the point of view that people need want work, mm -hmm. it's purpose. Mm -hmm. yeah? The point is that in many countries it's not paid a living wage. Mm -hmm. so, so I understand where you're trying to say that, that in a way it's... Um, it's damaging in another way. But in which, uh, in which way is it actually damaging, though? In the idea of, for instance, I don't mean, I, I really don't want to pull this to a completely different uh, yeah, discussion at all, but, but what I'm trying to say is that it has something, basically, whenever you try to find an alternative, you have to, I think, be very careful, precarious with where the damage you can make by, by bringing a good initiative, where this damage is, is caused anew. And this is, in this case, what I see is, um, uh, well, damaging of the image of what a woman should be, or keeping this alive in just a new package of, of greenwashing, or maybe not greenwashing, but that's too, too radical to say, but uh, idealizing it with something that has good associations. Although, of course, if I may but, add, yeah. if I may add to that, of course, if you get funding from <laughs> maybe maybe rich people or even state uh, funds, that money c can very well come from stock. Um, so, so any money, even funding money, is not clean. Um, so, th this is of course this is one of our our major problems that. Uh, uh, yeah, these rich guys who, who the, the Mecenas model that we are that our government wants all art institutions to turn towards in Holland, um, that might be nice because rich people give money and then we can do everything and it, it doesn't, you know that's their that's their talk. But that money is always dirty money, and now the question is should you accept it or not? Um, and then, uh, but uh, and then I, again, of course, is this is such a cultural line or? Even if, we, because to me, what you say is like the mental ecology part uh, that gets damaged there, or that it remains damaged, uh, or, or something like that. And I agree. Um, but and also, there is uh, if it's a worldwide production, there is shipping, uh, f flight costs, and are these sustainable? For certain, not. Uh, uh, but I think it's good to have. Yeah, to think about it still, because yeah, because we really don't know. Uh, yeah, I had a question that was more the opposite, how to keep uh, money out of these um, structures. <laughs> and um, because it sounds uh, all uh, great, of course, but it's a bit, I mean, you both, I think, described this like a, a in the end, it had to, has to be in a post-capitalist situation, but now we are in a capitalist situation. So, and there's all kind, of, especially on the European level, there's all kind of laws that even prohibit, for instance, municipalities from uh, discriminating uh, between um, idealistic uh, entrepreneurs and, and commercial ones, and so that's one. And one remark that that stuck in my head is about the Yasuni e example uh, in in Ecuador. That you put, you said, yeah, they just abandoned it. But that's of course a good example of. I don't think they abandoned it. I followed it a bit, and they tried to get support from European governments to invest in it in a way that they wouldn't have to abandon it. And nobody reacted. It was. Uh, um, 
there was no support. And I, I think there, there's a parallel also with the Syriza government. You can also say, yeah, once they c came to power, they more or less surrendered. But they were also left alone. There was no support, not on the on the activist side. I mean, nobody went to hold Dijsselbloem accountable for what he was doing, uh, so to say it. And also, not not on the governmental levels. The, there were debates on the European level. We would have expected Portugal, Ireland, Spain, more or less, to to take the side of Syriza, and and nobody did it. So there's also this. What was lacking, I think, apart from that it was very uh, <laughs> learnful and, and, and clear, was the, the power side of the, of, of the problematic. It's, uh, it's almost as, as if we also believe we can organize this in a post-political uh, way. And, and I, I don't think, I, I think we have to, to talk more about like, the, the, the power struggles that, that will have to be fought to make this, these kinds, uh, kind of things possible. It's, it's not a question, I think. It was a remark, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm sure you have thought about it. Maybe, can I just quickly answer? Well, um, yeah, I, it's, I, I didn't mean to say that at all. I don't know how this idea came that I'm talking about a post-capitalist scenario also because I was talking about the present and it's definitely not a post-capitalist scenario. Um, but I think that you're right. I mean, precisely the point is that power always exists in some form and uh, the powers that be now might be corporate pressures or whatever but the problem that I was trying to describe is not even to do with corporate pressure or anything like that it's uh, it's about how it's about democracy actually it's about how do you think this question of scale somehow and how can you govern societies across the local and the more statewide and global with what kind of structures so that you still enable commoning and um, I mean I think it's a genuine impasse in the model of governance that we are trying to imagine somehow and um, and I thought it was interesting what you were saying about scale without hierarchy I would like to hear if there's like a specific imaginary there or some kind of example or something like this and then I was thinking is that also a way to think around the competency question or not but I mean the I mean, with scale comes division of labor and a division of certain kind of decision-making, etc. So, if you have any specific models that you that you were referring to there. Um, because, yeah, if capitalism went away, this problem still wouldn't go away, I don't think, would it? <laughs> I mean. Well, I mean, the, the, in terms of the model that I look at, it's basically the open source communities model, which kind of... You know, it starts from the point of view that there is an abundance of potential contributions. And so you do not have to allocate them neither through democracy, neither through the market, neither through hierarchy. It's basically, you know, creating an open system that people can freely adhere to or not. So it's kind of more like a Darwinistic in a way, but in a positive way, I think. A system that... Um, um, so basically eliminates the allocation uh, discussion. So you only deal with conflicts as they emerge afterwards. But there's no need to discuss, you know, do we do A or B? Because people can just choose to do A or B. And so the, in terms of like collectivism versus individual freedom, this is a model that very much uh, expands the sphere of individual freedom. Um, personally, that's why I like it. You know, I've spent some time with collectivist communities last year, 
you know, with assembly and consensus. Just personally, I hate them, right? <laughs> I don't want to spend 20 hours in a week just talking with people to convince them that my idea is better than theirs. I just want to do stuff and see whether it works, and then we discuss afterwards and see, see this is what I did. So I find it personally very appealing modern f uh, model for our modern individualistic uh, reality. Um, you know, anyway, so that's my point of view. So it's kind of a different balance between the collective and the individual, uh, which I find very appealing. Now, there are lots of models, like theoretical, about, um, you, know, you know about the Dunbar number, and so this idea that people can only trust 150 people and there's now a whole science about these various numbers, 7, 25. Uh, there's a whole science around this, and there's a lot of biologists working on the ideal global governance system. Uh, one is a Norwegian guy, I think it's called John Gard. So if you're interested, I can send it to you. But these systems don't exist yet. They're kind of like attempts to imagine how we can match global governance and still, and still keep these small group dynamics. Um, but basically, um, the way it really works is the way I explained it. You know, you have these giant productive communities that that work through mutual coordination, social social allocation. Then they have these entrepreneurs, and they work in various ways, either cooperative or or hierarchical. On you know, and then you have these for benefit associations, which are like the kind of conflict resolution mechanisms for these communities. So once you're dealing with real uh, rare resources, like you know computers and and money, then then you need st structure, and those are usually democratic foundations. Like they work with voting and representation, and so this is working on a on a pretty big scale, uh, but of course can be improved at you know at the three different levels. Hi, the, this discussion about Casco's funding and the activities that are around it made me think of uh, this um, big project that I attended last uh, summer. I guess both of you were also there, the POC, POC 21, which had this kind of rights and political analysis to start with uh, about but by the dismissal of the uh, climate summit that was upcoming, and they would say they will go, they will talk, and I, and we hate talking. We will meet uh, there. We will build stuff. We will build the blueprints of the future, and and so on. And since I'm in this like the double life, on one hand, very much interested in my research of those practices, but also climate activist, I was like, aha, okay, they they, they match. They tick both boxes. Um, and both uh, in their nice chateau uh, that they were gathered uh, with, you know, generous funding from BMW Foundation and others. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and uh, afterwards in Paris when they were exhibiting, um, this this whole gap was extremely uh, much more present than I've ever seen between the resistance and alternatives, between those who want to talk and maybe fight, and those who want to build and maybe, you know, disrupt economic systems. Um, so, so what I had there is that um, the parallel between those blueprints uh, at the micro scale, 
say WikiHow's or I just built OpenDesk last week and was like getting into the, the, the matter and building instead of writing for once was extremely interesting. Uh, and this macro scale of, okay, you know, we have so many boxes that have to interact with each other in order to have a global uh, blueprint of, of things. The, the, the parallel is that we, we have the blueprints, we have like ambitious future plans, certainly. Uh, there is exponential and yet fragmented interest in all these uh, practices. Uh, and yet we are both struggling with, you know, there is no economic incentive. There is, uh, all of these people are precarious and it's because they are precarious that they are interested in them. So it's kind of a self-marginalizing maybe process. Um, but not disruptive yet. And at the same time, there's this, you know, um, lacking political support or disappointing political support, just like in Ecuador, or you know, just like any new uh, shiny object that uh, international left uh, uh, jumps on, be it Podemos or uh, Syriza, now Bernie and uh, Jeremy. Anyway, so um, these. Um, the, the distance between uh, the, the resistance and uh, the alternatives, basically, Though that cultural gap, um, I find it more and more difficult to uh, bridge it, in a way. And it's only maybe in these kinds of institutions when we kind of reach out to both, we reach out to different communities, but then um, maybe it's a great occasion for networking and meeting and learning uh, cross-pollination and so on. But ultimately, if, as long as these institutions don't become those maybe think tanks, I hate that word, but uh, still, where there's like some value that is generated that, that can be pooled as common resource, but also maybe, yes, why not uh, through peer production licenses or something, to generate income for this institution. I'm, I'm lost in, in, in that kind of uh, gap. Where how, how, what kind of institutions can fulfill that, that, that uh, attention in between? And it was certain, like the extreme example was precisely in Paris, where the place where they were doing the, um, the exhibition for the POC was right next to the uh, trainings for the action, and they were communities world apart. None, none of them was going to, to each other. And what kind of maybe experiences maybe Manuela ha have had in space terms, bringing those kinds of different communities uh, together in, in, in Barcelona that would, that triggered those at least bolder experiments of institutions and, and trials. And maybe last question, would the DM Ferufakis's uh, new uh, pet project have any kind of interest or sympathy for those kinds of platforms? I mean, in the case of Barcelona, I think it's mostly through different scales of assemblies and different forms of delegation, so pretty basic stuff. But the neighborhood assembly, which enables... Uh, so it's not, a spatial, it's, it's not as spatial as the example that you provide in the sense that there was, no, there was no squat next to the town hall and suddenly there was a communication between the two of them through the window. But it's this kind of different scales of the neighborhood assembly, the district assembly, billions of different assemblies at different scales. Um, but like an interesting recent example was that um, public contracts that the city gives out, for instance, like they couldn't, they s repeated the same old public contracts even though they had criticized them previously of um, 
kind of telephone internet mainline services or of um, waste recollection stuff like this um, saying that it would have been great to give it out to cooperatives but there is no cooperative no one cooperative that could have stepped up to that citywide task so what they did now in the first place was they just had to issue the same old to the same um, where maybe you can think the question of scale and say well maybe you have to think these at local levels which of course is a whole you have that takes a lot of time to figure out an alternative system like this no but um, these are the kind of limits that have been met recently around. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit more optimistic. Um, I mean, when you look at the Pirate Party, right? I mean, that was like from the most apolitical, you know, file-sharing uh, youngsters. But because of the repression they were facing, they got politicized. Um, and I think in a way, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure in Komoob actually, I had this vision, and maybe I'm totally wrong, that it's also because lots of these activists started actually doing things in the neighborhood, and hopefully not just talking in the neighborhood assemblies, but actually, you know, doing many, many, many things. So I, I see it a bit in the same direction, is the same, you know, from kind of doing things differently to politicizing and... Um, so you know we need people like you who bridge it. I mean, there's uh, you know there's a very fundamental way in which this this is like a, a, an issue of personality. You know, when I was young, I was angry and I was at every demonstration, and I woke up at five to sell my little newspaper. But there's no way I'm going to do that now. You know, you really have to put a gun to my so to my head in order for me to to get to a demonstration. I'll go when I'm asked, but otherwise it's just not my thing anymore. And so it's not about having everybody wanting to do the same thing. It's finding ways that, you know, resistance can talk to constructive and constructive can talk to resistance. And I think this is the only way. Even though you start from a place where, especially today, people actually start from a often anti-political feeling, right? Actually, again, I may be totally wrong because Manuela is the expert, but here's the way I explain 15M. You know, 15M was totally anti-political. You couldn't go with a badge, you couldn't go with a union flag, and then they didn't go vote, and they had the most right-wing government ever. And I think that politicized them afterwards. That's my view. M might be totally wrong, but that's the way I see it. Same with Syriza. It started with you know what was this, what that <laughs> started with that square, you know, and everybody was anti-political, and then it just didn't work, and people started politicizing. And as soon as somebody like, you know, puts up the flag and says, we're going to do it, then you see a very rapid politicization happening. It's, we need both. Because, you know, the old left is, we're going to have power and then we're going to change everything. I don't think that works anymore either, right? So you need these prefigurative, constructive communities that can actually tell Nkomu, like, see, this is possible. See, we can do this in a different way. I don't know. That's That's the way I see kind of a synergy between those two efforts. Yeah, I mean, not political, anti-political in the sense of capital P politics, no, in terms of the parties, the existing party system and stuff like this, yes. But, um, but I mean, I think there's a question which is like, it's nice to go out and experiment and like you say, you know, that everybody should be able to do what they do and then they, it's a little bit of an individualistic kind of vision, but what happens if you need an ambulance? You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, so there are certain services that tend to be public services 
that are managed at a huge level, at the level of the state right now, or, or the municipality, whatever you want, but where for sure it's important to try and ex start an experiment with new things, no garbage collection, all these kind of things, public hygiene, I don't know. But where... But where I don't know where there's the where there's like a certain kind this, where the scale maybe needs to be quite big or where making this transition is somewhat difficult to imagine. No, it's like with the solidarity health clinics in Greece, where you say, okay, that's really beautiful. It's great you're developing an alternative concept of healthcare, but they themselves say, well, we'd like to have an MRI scan, and that right now costs I don't know how many thousands of euros, and it's not something we can just uh, bring in through the community. Which of course, if you had a hacked uh, I don't know, 3D printed MRI scan, or maybe it would be cheaper, but you know what I mean? So, um. Um, both of you guys uh, touched on, on government, and uh, I was wondering what your opinion was on, on the lottery kind of systems. Like in? Um, like the, from the book, um, Against Elections from David Reibrook. It describes this model where you um, pick through lottery um, citizens um, who then do the government. And you have all kind of um, parts that cross-check each other. Does it exist anywhere? There, there are a lot of experiments, I think, but not Yeah, that's the one he mentioned. Yeah, yeah. 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 But that was also but, yeah. the political system in Athens for 200 years. Well, you know, can I say something? I just think it's uh, we are we are in a period of experimentation, right? Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that representative democracy as it is now. I mean, it just doesn't work. It's not democratic. There's actually a study in the U.S. It looks at the promises, the voting intentions, and what politicians actually do, and the relationship is exactly 0%. So this is not a democracy. It looks like a democracy, but it's not a democracy. They, don't, they do not do what the people want. Uh, so clearly, that system is not really working except as a kind of, you know, Simulacrum is that word, right? It works as a as a spectacle. So I'm pretty sure we are at a period where, you know, we need to invent at least plugins, right? At the very least, plugins into that system. I don't think we can, in my view, probably not replace it 100% like this because we don't really know how to do it. Uh, but in terms of like experimenting, this, by the way, is the way Bologna works. Co Bologna has four labs. And so, you know, they have this mechanism with the Bologna regulation, and when something works, they replicate it across the neighborhoods. I think this is a very fruitful way of thinking about change, because it's not like we have all the answers, right? We have a different imaginary, we have different methods, but we don't have a blueprint that we can say, you know, like, tomorrow we have the power, and, you know, we're going to run the ambulances in a totally different way. Right? I mean, it's just not there yet. But there's many little things we can do differently and I think through experimental politics but supported by you know progressive coalitions I think we could move pretty fast into you know substantial change. And this is what you mean by your Darwinism I guess. This, this different experiments that, that can be run and see what comes out which one survives. 
Yes. Okay. Not, not to be confused with social Darwinism no, 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 and no, stuff. No, no, no. But no, like, yeah. It's a technological uh, Darwin, Darwinism. Yeah, also, uh, the Zapatistas, for instance, are a good sorry, example. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, I just wanted to break in. So there's many examples that we can use uh, of that are on a bit bit larger scale even than just um, neighborhood experiments or something, like the Zapatistas or now uh, Kurdish uh, experiments. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're all they're always what <laughs> um, far away. <laughs> That's the problem. We need working experiments uh, close by that we everybody can say, yeah, that looks like my. Um, uh, situation. Um, adding adding up to this, I'd be very interested in something that you mentioned before the tra um, transition platforms. Uh, you you mentioned them several times in your talk, uh, Michel, and I was wondering if you have an example of one that achieved a certain critical mass to actually really implement the peer-to-peer -peer system widely like uh, and, and I'm wondering how this happens because before you addressed that uh, in, in situations of stress people tend to fall back out of fear to the known system capitalism and 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 the that system you know <laughs> so uh, I was wondering about examples for that uh, well it's a really good question and I think it shows actually the dialectic between the prefigurative and the transformative so uh, in my wiki I have a few examples like the Vancouver food policy and Cordoba in Spain and they were all started outside the government with citizen coalitions. And it took usually 10 years actually to get there. Um, you know, just local people wanting to have local organic food outside of the supermarket system. And they start working together, creating bigger coalitions. And eventually, in these cases, it was taken over by the city as a new food policy for the city. So in this place, you have a substantially you know, altered and better situation than 10 years ago. Where with uh, Vancouver and Cordoba, I just found that out a few weeks ago. There was also a whole article about how the food situation changed in Cordoba. And then, then maybe it wasn't so successful, but there's a, a famous case in, in, in Germany, in Berlin, with uh, how it's called Berlin Energitis. So, you know, they wanted a local utility with distributed energy. They went all the way to a referendum, which they won, but unfortunately, they didn't reach the quorum of 25% votes, right? These are like grassroots coalitions around a particular transition, like a, th a very, uh, very particular theme, and then trying to create you know, this commonality of effort uh, for a transition. And, but if you have, a, a, you know, I'm always uh, looking at you as the representative of uh, Encomu, uh, if you have a progressive coalition, you know, then you can make a quantum leap, right? Because you have the people, you have the experts, they have the experience, uh, you have a template, and then you move from purely grassroots to actually policy, and then you can generalize, you know, what, what you know works at a, a much sc a greater scale. 
must be said about Barcelona and Comú that they have 11. Can you, can you yeah, sorry. No, just, <laughs> just to say that they, Barcelona and Comú has 11 um, delegates within the municipal assembly, which is 40, something, more or less. So actually the policy making is really difficult. Hello. I've never used the microphone, it's really exciting. Okay. Um, so we've been talking a lot about very big general issues and I think every issue is very um, case specific and um, yeah, I've been th I come from the UK and we tend I have some friends in Scotland and they were very much into the Leave, uh, independence campaign because they thought it would give them greater autonomy and greater the healthcare system would be perfect and you know because well that basically they would be separate from the conservative government for one thing but um, I was also wondering in the case of Barcelona and Catalonia and uh, Spain uh, Euskadi and um, they also places that want to be independent. And uh, I also I come from a very small rural community in England, which is a forest. Uh, there's a forest. There's a, a few villages surrounded by a big forest, and um, the community around it is kind of uh, quite a deprived community. There's not many jobs or not, not much money, but the government continues to exploit the very rich natural reserve we have. And I see this as a very ho uh, annoying paradox, like the kind of resource curse, but then in a very uh, in a European context, which is maybe a little unusual and not seen as so extreme. But I was wondering how we can make, well, how I would like to know, <laughs> I would love to know how to make this um, uh, a more uh, sustainable thing where people could actually, I don't know, use this resource they have. But I mean, is that to do with reskilling or, and I was thinking maybe in a, a very radical thought that uh, has been actually said in my community, which is very small, uh, I, I can't remember how many people, but it's eight small villages. Um, the, about actually becoming autonomous from the state or something like this could be a solution. But then there is an importance to be all these um, autonomous communities, be it like a tiny squat or a community. Or I also hear in Spain there's a village which has become sort of semi-autonomous, Marinadela or something like this. And I was wondering, what is is there any value in this actually? And is it is it too um, abstract from the institutionalized? thing we want to plug into or yeah that's a lot of stuff but it's sort of a question i have a very little example that you might want to look into um, in several places like Sayan in france and from in the south of england the civic uh, organization chased away the politicians and became the majorities and there if you look at the changes there they're really interesting especially in Frome, which I know a bit better, you know, these are the people who have been doing this, the community gardens, the organic food, and they're now, they're now in charge. Um, and so that, this is really interesting. It's a new kind of politics that we didn't know, where they kind of just eliminated the political class and, and you know, installed a civic majority. Um, and Sayon in France, the same model. In, in from they have something called democracy flat democracy toolkit, which are now trying to get uh, around. And I, I heard like six or seven other communities are either already did it or are almost there. You know, like same process. Are you really interested in the autonomy question, or was that just a side thing? Because I don't have to answer this. Kind of 
it's highly it's a highly political issue the question of catalonian independence so i can give you my opinion which a lot of people will hate me for without a doubt but i think i mean the question of independence is always one thing is catalonia is one of the richest or the richest region in spain um and the independence uh, issue has been used very much by the right in the moments of austerity the catalan right to position themselves against the central state uh, and proclaim that they are making less cuts, things like this, while actually the cuts, the social cuts to welfare made in Catalonia have been much, have been more brutal even than some at the central state level, etc. Um, so there's a strange thing there about, um, it's been a very strategic uh, thing of the Catalonian elites, let's say. Um, you can question to what extent you should not only think independence, but also interdependence in the sense that you're sure a lot of taxes from Cat from Catalonia go to the rest of the state, but it's because Spain is a pretty poor country and that's actually redistribution. So is that such a bad thing, you know? Um, and then you're trying to build a nation state and the idea of the nation is very much <laughs> premised on this idea of this cultural identity, you know, it's very solid, it's the we, it's... So I'm not very fond of all of this and... Um, so I think it depends how you frame autonomy from who, but also how you think the interdependence that you have with others at the same time as a kind of empowered interdependence. Because uh, I think generally in liberal thought and in the way that we're trained to think about democracy, the idea of autonomy is always there, you know, at the forefront. And we totally don't have the feminist viewpoint to think that that's a very, it's only certain kinds of subjects that can afford to be autonomous. It tends to be those that have the privilege to claim autonomy, you know. Um, so why not think about interdependence and care rather than autonomy sometimes? Uh, it's a communist mayor and I think they're doing pretty radical stuff there. But I, I haven't been there. It's a village. Yeah. I, I, I hope it's not finishing. Uh, <laughs> I'm always the last one too. Ask a question. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the, your idea uh, regarding the, the role of education um, as regards to what we have been discussing, and perhaps I tell you have a lot of things to, to say about it too. Mm -hmm. I just have in mind the fact that, uh, as you probably know, in France we have a barely, not at all, experimental uh, educational system, but still a few schools are now developing which are based on um, self-organized um, system where the, 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 the pupils are um, taking part to the, uh, the life, the everyday life of the school, etc. But still it's anecdotic. So I don't know how it's working in Barcelona and if things have changed to, to this uh, regard. And just a little uh, second question. It was just the, the question that was brought at the very beginning regarding the, the effects. Uh, I think we just let it apart, but I think it's super interesting. So if we have a few minutes. We certainly do have a few minutes. Any thoughts on uh, I do. I mean, I am an educator, so uh, I do definitely have thoughts on education in the Commons, but uh, I do it here in Rotterdam. But maybe do you know anything about it happening in Barcelona? Um, uh, there's... I'm sh I think that the people from Barcelona and Comú that went into the city government had a lot of really good proposals around education, which are on the website. The thing is, there's been so many working groups with policy proposals that I'm absolutely not like 
that I don't remember all of them at all, so I can't give you super concrete. Um, the, the only thing I can say is that for sure the terminology of the commons and this general set of ideas has very much flown into more public discourse and is circulated more. more. And there are more projects around this, etc. So it's become more mainstream in some sense. Um, and should I answer the affect thing quickly or do you want to yeah, say something yeah, to that? No, I mean, um, death is curious. I thought about affect more actually also than death because I think you're right that um, this the Spanish movement, no, are you referring to the first question that been asked? Um, I mean, the, the Spanish, they've invented a very nice formula for mobilization, which is people affected by X, Y, Z. So when the 2004 bombings happened in Madrid, there was this strong, which is a quite important kind of pioneering movement, people supporting those affected, people who had who lost others, who lost loved ones, etc. And then came the uh, the plataforma de afectados por la hipoteca, so people affected by their mortgages, etc., which is a nice formula for not having a kind of completely identity politics. So it's not saying, you know, you don't have to be only in one specific category for this, but you create a kind of mutual aid and solidarity around being affected by something. And the fact that it's affected by it's it is also because um, it's really a matter of letting yourself, of recognizing what it means to be affected, which is. Um, being moved and all this kind of stuff. So these forms of mutual aid, they're very strongly drawn on kind of community that is very much dealing with emotion, dealing with grieving, dealing with uh, suffering. And I think within the crisis now, since 2008 at least, um, there's been a lot of people that went through really tough stuff. Uh, I don't know if I would frame it around death necessarily. There's a, there has been quite a few suicides around people being evicted from their houses, etc. But just suffering in general. Um, which has produced a lot of rage and a lot of love at the same time, you know, and solidarity. Uh, because it cuts really close to the bone. Because what uh, Michelle, you said about this open system, I, I, I feel like I'm finally realizing what open system means. <laughs> also, like, having this experience of getting fatigue from assembly structure, having, uh, um, yeah, you already laid out all the problems in that. Uh, but maybe in relation to this kind of affective community, uh, how does uh, a mechanism for managing resource uh, works in this affective community? in light of also question of competence. And there are also that different degree of dedication one could make and different levels of competence in any kind of uh, collective situation. Mm. So you do care uh, about your weak colleague mm. who's not able to contribute for different reasons. Just she or he not educated for making such a hard contribution or her mental, physical condition doesn't allow it. So how can we care weakness while we um, uh, creating a room for us to keep managing without making us or the rest who are strong weaker because of fatigue or because of burden? So like one uh, way is like keep opening with add of uh, technology and other could be effect, but yeah. Hmm. I'm not sure if I'm, the thing is 
Uh, in Spanish, you would say competencia. In English, there is the word competency. I looked it up this morning to be sure I'm not saying nonsense. And it does also refer to the fact that you have a very specific task and a very specific area of responsibility, basically. So that's what I mean with competency. I don't mean responsibility or responsibility in the sense that you care for the other and you come forth when they ask you something, that you answer to them. But like competency in the bureaucratic sense that's saying... Uh, you know, the, this is not, the state has to deal with this, or um, I don't know, you have to go to this department if you have a headache, and uh, I'm not going to give you the aspirin now, kind of thing. So this, I think, in kind of more, in less bureaucratized settings, is easily resolved by having maybe a division of labor, but at the same time, rotative systems of who, who is in which position when, and um, yeah, and just not having them as these, framed as these absolute things. So this is what I was trying to contrast somehow. And in relation to... Um, how you create an ethics of care is, I mean, this, just this, to have the possibility to step out and to have quite a lot of space for rotation, I think helps a lot just to be able to recognize that people pass through very different moments in their lives, no? where they can do different things, good or badly, and where they need support, but this is very general. So, for me, this is a very important question, and I think this is why we still need the public and the commons at the same time. Because, you know, in the Middle Ages, you got your solidarity from your guild. And that worked pretty well. If you were part of a guild, you get solidarity, you know, your widows, orphans, everybody was cared for. But there were 2% of the people that didn't belong to anything, and they, they didn't get anything. You know, but very top-down, maybe philanthropy from the church. And so the advantage of our state systems is that everybody is covered, right? I mean, that has been a historical, I think... Um, you know, victory for people is that with our state systems, really, at least in theory, nobody falls outside of the of the cracks, because every everyone was covered as a citizen. We don't know yet how to deal with migrants and stuff. That's another issue. But at least at the citizen level, that was like a big solution. If we entirely fall back on the commons, then we're back to a situation where your solidarity depends on the success of your community. Right, and if you're, a, and then you have a hierarchy of communities who can take care better or worse. So I think we have to keep this balance between, you know, the the our welfare system and what I call common fare, which is you know the new solidarity mechanisms that we are developing in these new communities, like broad funds and and you know stuff like that. Um, yeah, I guess that was that's what I want to say. Oh, oh one more thing. Very important. Uh, Bernard Stiegler, who wrote a foreword of my second edition, uh, he has a very strong point, which is capacity building, right? In order to have a common-centric society, people need capacities to contribute, and not everybody has an equal capacity uh, to contribute. So there's still a social role, a public role, which is generalized capacity building, so that people can actually contribute to these shared resources. Um, I don't know if that's related to competencies. Okay, m maybe one more thing. In At least in peer production, the way it works is we are moving away from division of labor towards distribution of tasks. And we're moving away from what we call credentialism and a priori selection to a posteriori control. So if we talk about hierarchy in these communities, they're not up front, but they're always in the back, right? You have the maintainers, the editors, 
and they protect the integrity of the system. They cannot tell anybody what to do, but they can say no. This patch doesn't come in, this, uh, this Wikipedia change doesn't come in. Um, just an example of Wikipedia, why I think it's really not working, is in the Wikipedia, the people who know the rules have more power than the people who know the stuff. And this is a really big issue. Like, this is a really bad governance of the Wikipedia, uh, leading to all kinds of problems, which you don't have in Linux, where the maintainers are better software developers than, you know. So that's really, um, it can, you know, it can go wrong, even, of course, normally, in everything. But that's where even, you know, peer governance can be really problematic sometimes. Uh, I wanted to draw on your uh, question a bit more. Um, if we're talking about we don't live in a post-capitalist world yet, which I think nobody in this room can deny, um, what is the role of education? So right here we're, we're talking about what we can build or, uh, yeah, Basically, we're thinking about what we could build, but what is the role of, and you say you uh, educate in Rotterdam and yep. then kind of went back to Spain, but I'm actually really interested in what what to do here, closer to where we are. And oh. Well, I can answer a, a bit of that, but, so yeah, I it's work- a big question. I, yeah, I work for a, a foundation, we're called Skill City, and the things I say are indeed my personal narrative, partly at least. I coordinate most of the uh, practical uh, work there and I teach myself. What we make is an eco-social learning program for children aged four till adults changed at uh, age 27. And we work on the lower tiers of education, so the, 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 the vocational education part. And um, <coughs> we work in very poor neighborhoods, the poorest of Holland. Uh, so with more than 40% of... Uh, 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 unemployment, uh, uh, people living below poverty rate, uh, wage, uh, children not having food, but having very expensive shoes. You know, all the typical problems that you see with poverty in a very rich country. Um, <coughs> well, we created a model that uh, allows children to um, develop relational skills by basically giving them judo, all of them, or aikido every week, one hour, by having them gardening, making their own food, and by getting communal uh, food lunches every every uh, weekday of the school. Uh, and they get philosophy to reflect on all this stuff. And uh, that we do in the higher tiers of education as well. Okay, so, but that is um, a plug-in. And that's, in that sense, it's very interesting because, like you said too, the Dutch education system is pretty... Well, actually, quite uh, conservative and also very difficult to break into. Um, uh, if you have a new religion, you can make a school, otherwise definitely not. And also Muslims who have a, basically a new religion that is not really represented in the education system can't really easily make new schools. Um, so it's super closed. And so what we developed is a plugin that you can use in any school. It doesn't matter what kind of school it is. Um, uh, uh, and the commoning part there is to make more and more people um, responsible for the for the way the schools run. Um, 
so mothers make the food for instance uh, they never come into school this is one of the big fat problems no yeah but i mean this is the way it's simply how it works people never enter the school they don't know what is happening so you have to draw them into the school so that they can start to understand how it works and sadly it means mothers and fathers are very difficult to get into a school um, but on the other hand uh, at least it means that they can come together because uh, it is also difficult for them to find uh, places where they can use their time anywhere else but the house so okay um and then there's the teachers. Our teachers are all managers now, uh, where it used to be so that uh, 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 teachers make their own education material. Now, of course, everything is standardized. The money that for that comes from the public, it's a public government pays stock-owned companies to cre create uh, education material. And the schools pay for that with public money, again, for that same educational material, which means that poor schools in Holland cannot get the latest um, um, education material, but all the tests are based on the latest educational material. Mm -hmm. And even though the tests are already racially biased, uh, uh, th this bias is even increased because the poor schools can't get the new material. So for me to create a, a um, um, a system where the teachers uh, are again able to produce at least part of what they teach, that would be coming a real educational commons. Uh, and uh, uh, so open access publishing of, uh, uh, of education material, that is where w we would like to go. Um, but again, that is uh, very difficult because you need the money from somewhere. Working there, though, I do see that the, even that, those specific neighborhoods, the millions of euros go through them every month. People pay their rent, people pay their electricity bills, people eat. And so from another vantage point, like however poor, there is so incredibly much money, not in the, the, the profit margins, but in, in, in maintenance kind of money, money that is always being spent. And so to find ways to reallocate that money into commons, that is what I would would, would, would want. But, uh, but for that you need really high degrees of community organization. And for that you need to start somewhere. And so we start in a school. Uh, but uh, we are very conscious that it takes 20 years, even more, and that at every moment funding can be cut. Uh, and uh, that it is a, in that sense a pretty difficult uh, thing. So just to say a bit and uh, some ideas, but uh, very in the beginning and always precarious. Yeah. And it's probably after six now, right? I had, yeah. a, I had a question actually, you know, what are you guys going to do in Utrecht? Who is from Utrecht? Who lives in Utrecht?
to, we need to think about it. To digest. Yeah, stop yeah. asking questions. We won't answer. Um, we are talking about this all in this group, and I was wondering maybe um, how can we exchange this information to everybody out there? Because, um, yeah, just let. <laughs> we have a podcast. Yeah, no, but um, to the big public, you know, um, how because these are such interesting um, changes and plans and. Um, big media and news corporations have their own big public, but how can, um, yeah, are we in the state, or can we use that public too? Or do we need to find out other ways? You know, we need, we need to necessary. make our own media. Um, you know, and not just digital, yeah. you know, you need some print and, and yeah, I mean, I have the same, I mean, it's pretty. It's you know, it's circulating pretty well now, like in the networks, mm -hmm. but it still reaches like only a layer. Mm -hmm. And there's now so much experience and knowledge that I think is accumulating. That for me, like now, we need to produce pamphlets, you know, professional media, and but they don't exist yet. So you know, we've got, we've got to make them. Um, there is a there is a copying machine available <laughs> freely <laughs> upstairs. <laughs> upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. So for real, for free, that's good. That's a good. I mean, donations to the Commons are always welcome. <laughs> and I think with that we're going to wrap it up. There's going to be some drinks, I think, or it's already past time. I don't even know. Yeah, right. So let's have a, just a talk afterward. Thanks all for coming. Thanks Manuela. Thanks Michelle. Thanks Casco. Hey.